This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello there, welcome to episode 30 of the Broadcast Church Planting podcast. Today we're bringing you a hangout from October 2015, where we have Tim Simmons talking about the importance of fighting for small wins when you're planting a church. You can find this full hangout, including a Q&A with Tim and the notes on everything that he had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 30. So here is Tim Simmons. Talk about this idea of fighting for small victories. Uh, And recently I heard a church planter or I saw them on Twitter actually bemoaning the fact that they only had 15 people in their core team. And uh, they were frustrated at the number of people they had. They were frustrated that no one had become Christians yet. Uh, And he felt like um, he had no momentum at all in his church planting endeavor. Uh, And actually, I felt sad for him. I felt sorry for him. Uh, because actually he'd done a huge amount of things. He'd moved to a new city, which was actually in a different country. Uh, so they're very different culture. Uh, and in doing that, he'd managed to gather 15 people. Uh, and it felt like to me, as he talked or as he tweeted, um, that his uh, perspective on succeeding and failing were wrong. They were out of sync, actually. Uh, and it seemed to me like he had a, a very big vision Um, but had no small vision, if that makes sense. So he could understand the power of big victories and the big success and the things that uh, all of us hope and dream for and uh, maybe some of the uh, church planners who can sell books will tell us are possible. Um, But he actually had no understanding of the smaller victories uh, that you need to have in order to get there. Uh, So tonight, really, I want to just talk about the first a few years or the first phase really of church planting. And really that's when you go go from a, a tiny group of people. Um, so maybe just the, 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 the first family or the first person or the first couple um, to the slightly larger group of people. So perhaps it would be the, the zero to 30 phase or zero to 40, that kind of uh, the first few steps that you need to make, which uh, can take a few years depending on how things go. Uh, or it can go quicker. Uh, and uh, I, I'm not just talking about numbers of people or gathering that crowd or bums on seats, um, but actually how we define success, uh, how we define failure, how we articulate vision uh, in those early days. Uh, and that sense of what vision is for the first phase, how do you create uh, a really big hope for the future that make you excited personally, uh, that make your, your church, maybe your core team, how you get them excited, how you get them on board, how you get them working really hard uh, to make the big thing happen. Uh, and I always feel like it, this is something that's really easy to get wrong. And I certainly got wrong and you can end up demotivating yourself, uh, even demotivating uh, your, your own people. Um, and so in this a little bit, I'm going to, 
I'm going to kind of talk about this in terms of my own journey. Sometimes that's the easiest way to talk about it. And it took me a while to work out what the best way or how the best way to articulate even what we were attempting to do as a church plant uh, and a while, a while to work out how you do that, how you actually um, articulate a really good vision, something that's compelling, something that's positive, something that's really kingdom focused uh, and, and how you keep very positively on that when maybe there's only one front room full of you, you know, there's only that initial small group, how you can uh, do those things. Uh, and I, I think personally that I grew up uh, like in terms of maturity a lot in the church planting process. I, I learned a lot about myself, more, perhaps more than anything else, um, and my own self-awareness, even my own uh, gifting. And in those initial phases, you really find out a great deal about uh, who you are, about what you, you're even capable of. Um, so when we moved to Manchester about six years ago, we uh, we came with um, a big vision, a big hope, and everybody should do that. When you when you go to church plant, you should have these grand, huge ideas. Uh, and our friends and other people would be very kind and would say encouraging things to us about what they thought would happen. And there's the usual stuff. I'm sure there'll be a big church and I'm sure many hundreds of people will get saved, all those sorts of things. Uh, We would go to prayer meetings and people would bring prophetic words that uh, felt and seemed significant and would paint this wonderful uh, big picture of what the future might look like or what it might be. And it was lovely. I enjoyed all of those things happening. However, the reality um, did not match those things, which is how the prophetic should be, how encouragement should be. It should make you hope for the better future. Absolutely. Um, And I remember at one point, I think we were about three or four months in, and uh, I decided that I was going to do a vision talk at our new church plant, which is always a a slightly challenging thing to do if you're a church of thousands of people or a church of just you and your family. Uh, And I decided I was going to do this vision talk. And at the time, we were meeting on a Sunday evening in um, a bar in South Manchester. Um, We were trying to get people to turn up by offering them free vodka. That was how well-honed our church planting strategy was at the time. And we were getting about 12, 15 people most Sunday evenings. Uh, And I realized I'd written this talk, I'd written this vision, and I was sat uh, in the kind of semicircle that was our church meeting while the worship leader did his thing. And uh, I looked down at my papers that I'd written, and I felt really silly. I remember that feeling of feeling really a tiny bit ridiculous. And um, it because this vision painted this big picture of church planting in Manchester and all that could be possible. Uh, And I remember looking around this group of people and thinking that most of them were there because I had harassed them, uh, hassled them kind of uh, continually badgered and invited them to be there. Uh, And they were there really to do me a favor. That that's kind of what church planting is a little bit like, at least it was for me at that stage. People were there because of me more than any great vision uh, because they liked me enough to be there and either felt sorry for me or hopes that things might get better over time. That was it. And the, the meetings in it, the worship times were uh, awkward at, at best. Um, the preaching, which was my preaching, was really, you know, not very good. Uh, and the room we were in was, it was the top floor of a vodka bar, which was cold in the winter, boiling in the summer, dirty, the air conditioning used to drip on you, all these sorts of things. And we were a brand new group of people and nobody knew each other very well. And I remember looking around this room, looking at my, this vision that I had written 
and uh, I did. I felt silly. I, I, I couldn't get my head. I couldn't match this big thing with the reality of what was going on in the ground on the grounds, uh, which would say a huge amount about me at that point. And I realised that I had written at least or was wanting to articulate something that was just too big. Okay. It was too big a vision. Um, so let me explain what I mean by that before I get stoned for heresy. Uh, and I began actually to kind of do battle within myself about what vision was in this kind of church planting stage. How do you have vision for something uh, better? And at the same time, how you measure success. Uh, and I began to realize that I had spent my time talking about this big thing, churches of hundreds or thousands. Uh, and in doing that, I was kind of setting myself up for failure in a funny way. Uh, and even to say things like, uh, we believe God is going to change the city or we're going to take the city or, or, you know, those sorts of quite grandiose statements and pronouncements. Actually, I, I found them to be troublesome in myself. They, they made me uncomfortable. Uh, they made me unsure of myself. They made me a bit, I just felt really odd about them. Uh, and now there are uh, church planters in the world uh, who have uh, a bigger gift than I do, or more gifting, more ability. They've maybe planted more churches. And so by the time they've done it a few times, um, they have uh, perhaps more resources, they have more people with them, they have more profile, all of those things. And then those bigger, bolder visions are entirely appropriate and very good, and uh, people can make that work. Um, but for me, at that point in time, and probably for the majority of people who plant a church, we don't have those things. Um, and there isn't the credibility that perhaps you need for a bigger vision. And the credibility issue was in me. It was in my own head more than anything else. People were quite happy to sit and listen to me uh, pontificate on the possibilities in the future. Uh, but actually in my own head, there was a confidence uh, and credibility issue. Uh, and also I, I really thought that this idea of the big vision, the big thing, actually gave me big potential to fail. It made it much easier to miss a target. So if I could only talk about hundreds and thousands, or if I could only talk about a whole city being changed or a generation being changed or something like that, and that anything after that that we did didn't quite match it, um, then we would be, I would be in trouble, at least within myself. And that's quite a, so then you, I was second guessing myself the whole time. Now, I'm aware as I, as I kind of was planning this and as I'm talking about it now that that sounds really a bit chicken and quite fearful and all of those things and like I didn't trust God and I don't trust God. Um, but actually, as I thought about it, I, I wonder whether we misunderstand what it is to have faith or at least misapply it uh, and um, can overly pressurize ourselves or maybe overly pressurize our church leaders or our church planters. Uh, and in this whole process, I realized... I was comparing myself to how other people had planted churches or other church plants and all of those things. And in every comparison, uh, I was losing. Okay. I was the, the idiot brother in these things. It wasn't working for me. So really the big vision that I um, thought I had was not matching up to any sense of reality or day-to-day -day life. Okay. And, and now there is a difficulty in all that I've said. The other side of the coin uh, is that you can have too small a vision. 
the other side of this coin is that you have no faith and no hope uh, and everything gets boiled down to nothing and you think everything's going to be slow, everything's going to take years. And I was with some church planners recently where uh, all they would talk about was the difficulty of the place that they were wanting to plant into. Everything there was hard. There were no easy wins for them. There were no Christians who might join. All of the people in that place hated God. It was that kind of place. Everything is not going to work. And uh, and that's the opposite. They had too small a vision, too small a hope. Uh, and I, I felt for myself um, that at the point of, uh, that I was at in my own development, in who I was, that I just needed to be realistic. Um, so when I met new people who were interested in joining, uh, for me, it felt very unrealistic to talk things up too much to make it this big church, this big hope. Uh, and I kind of flipped into a negativity. So when anybody would say, oh, what's, what's your hope for the church? What's your vision? Where do you want to be in the next few years? Uh, the best uh, I could come up with always ended with me saying, yeah, but there's only 15 of us at the moment. And you'd end up talking yourself out of it. And I lost my confidence. So it got to the point actually where people were saying, what do you think is going to happen? How do you think we're going to go? Uh, and I would just say, we, we want to exist at Christmas. That's my great vision. Um, it's to last two months. It was October. I want us to still be here in December, um, which was having the opposite effect. It's not very inspiring, oddly depowering, um, not very good at all. So I'd gone from quite bombastic uh, to being really very negative um, in quite a short space of time. Uh, and I found I was beginning to play down what God can do, and I would start looking for the difficulty, talking about the difficulty and the cost of church planting and all those sorts of things, which aren't very exciting and fun. Uh, and I think I was beginning to get my excuses in early, uh, is probably what was happening. Uh, and I realized that there are some fundamental truths in church planting uh, that sometimes we don't need to, like to talk about, but there's kind of a bottom line in church planning, isn't there? You know, really, you need people to join. So numerically, the thing has to grow. It just has to grow. Uh, it has to happen. Uh, and people need to grow in themselves. So however many people you've got, they need to grow in love for Jesus. Whether they are Christians with you or non-Christians, everybody needs to grow in that journey a bit. And also I realized a truth for us was the community, for it to grow, it needed to be fun. We needed to be able to enjoy ourselves. Uh, and often I'll hear church planters talk about the cost and the sacrifice and all these sorts of things, which you kind of think, well, I don't really want to sign up for that because it doesn't sound like fun to me. It needs to be fun. And so those were the kind of truths I settled on. We need to grow. Uh, actually, we need to grow in number. There's no escape from that. We need to grow in our love for Jesus, whether we're Christians or non-Christians, and the community needs to grow in its togetherness and in the fun that it has. Uh, and that couldn't happen without some sort of hope and dream for the future. Uh, it has to have that this is where we want to go. This is what we want to see happen. And it's true that we believe uh, Jesus came to build a new kingdom. He came to build a new community of people around himself. And so Isaiah 60 uh, would always jump out at me. Uh, where it says, your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified, which is very powerful. Uh, then it goes on to say, the least one shall become a clan, the smallest one, a mighty nation. I am the Lord in its time. I will hasten it. 
Uh, and that really kind of sticks with me that the least shall become a clan, the smallest shall be a mighty nation, okay? So there's some growth that needs to happen, and I feel like God wants that to happen. Uh, So I needed to find a way to make this big vision of Jesus, his kingdom, these wonderful things match the reality of church planting in South Manchester in 2015. That that needed to happen. So I realized I needed some confidence uh, uh, in myself and that vision actually needs some confidence. Uh, and I, I really needed uh, something that I wanted to be part of, something that I believed in, and I needed to be able to articulate it confidently without feeling like I was saying, yeah, we're going to be a mega church, uh, or without saying, yeah, we're going to be 15 people, and in 15 years we hope to be 20 people. That's the dream. So, um, so it sounds very simple. Um, but actually, this the big thing was too much for me, and the small thing uh, gave nobody any hope. So I needed to make some adjustments in my perspective. Uh, and really what it boiled down to is I wanted to be able to celebrate with our community some wins. We needed some victories, uh, and we needed to know how to do that. And when there's 15 of you, or that kind of small first group, uh, you need to make the victories and the wins quite simple. Um, and there are a few things that actually when I started uh, that I thought were really, really important, but actually weren't very important. Um, and so I stopped doing them. So before we work, we talk about the, how to fight for these uh, small victories. Uh, I realized actually I needed to adjust to the things that I put my effort and my hope into. Uh, and there were three really that were big for me, um, which... Uh, may get me thrown out of the church leaders and church planters club, but let's try them. So the first one was uh, preaching. I, I actually thought that preaching was really, really important in a church plant in that early stage. Um, but actually, I was a novice preacher, really. I, before I moved to Manchester, I preached maybe four or five times in my life. Uh, and so I was spending hours on prep um, and creating these sermons for very few people to hear uh, and they really weren't very good they really weren't very good at all Uh, and so I decided that I was going to compact my prep time as much as I possibly could and not worry too much about the quality Uh, I I work much harder on my preach prep now um, but it was at the beginning I was spending loads of time on something that actually wasn't going to grow us as a church um, which, you know, you take that how you want. Uh, and then I also decided that um, in terms of the actual quality of the meeting, uh, and this was a hard thing to learn, so things like the worship and things like that, uh, it was just really difficult to do those things well um, because it was just difficult. You could have a good worship leader uh, and not very many of you, and some evenings if three or four people couldn't turn up. There could be eight or nine of you standing in a circle in a room that could fill about 50 or 60. uh, And it would just feel really uncomfortable. Um, So instead of worrying about it, I just decided that it would be funny. So we would have humor about it instead. And we'd let lots of people have a go at it. And we wouldn't worry about it too much. Uh, And that was an important moment for me, actually. Uh, And then the third one, and this one gets me in trouble on occasion, is that I decided that evangelism actually wasn't as important as I thought it was. Okay. And that really could get me thrown out of the church plants club. So my rationale behind it was, is that I'm not very good at it. I am genuinely, 
uh, rubbish at evangelism. I've tried on numbers of occasions, and I seem to be able to ruin the conversation. There are open goals, and I'll miss. It's I'm just not very good at it. So I realised that what I needed to put my effort into was actually that team of people uh, and growing that team, and in um, in the hope that some of them would be much better at it than I was. And thankfully there were people there who were much better at evangelism, the sort of people who can have lunch in a public place with their Bible open and, you know, have talked to four or five people by the end of lunchtime. When that happens to me, I just, nothing happens. Uh, so, so I decided that I needed to change what I did with my time and the, where I put my effort. Uh, and so I decided I was going to focus on some other things instead so that I could fight for these small victories so I could get, some wins under our belt and build some momentum. And what I realized was going to help us was that I needed to be a networker. That that was the thing I needed to become good at. And so I would have coffee and tea and meet as many people as I possibly could. So if I heard rumor that there was somebody moving into the city who was looking for church, I would get that person's phone number and I would call them out of the blue. They would never have heard of me. and I would just phone them up. Uh, tell them what we were doing, ask them to meet for a coffee. Uh, and I would just spend a lot of time doing that. Any opportunity uh, that I could have to talk about us as a church um, with anyone, I would do that. And there was even one guy who was a who cold called me. He was a cold calling salesperson. Uh, and I managed to convince him to have coffee with me uh, and talk about church. Uh, and what I discovered is every time I did this, the meeting would lead to another contact and something else would come up. Uh, and I found this, uh, I'd learned this in a job I had years ago when I think I was at university, I worked, I did some telesales myself. I think I sold family photographs or something terrible like that. And you realize that when you made one sale, that the whole point of the sale was that you had a happy customer who gave you six other phone numbers and then you'd phone their friends and that's what you would do. And so uh, I was meeting people and doing my best to be friendly and likable and then would meet as many other people that they knew. And and I would meet anyone that wanted to talk to me. I was stood up any number of times. I would wait for ages to meet people. I would always take a book with me in case nobody showed up so I could read something. And uh, that's what I would do. And actually I found, having said I was rubbish at evangelism, that I would end up spending time with lots of non-Christians as well in these um, situations purely by accident, um, it would happen. So, um, so there you go. Maybe I wasn't as bad as I thought. We also decided the second thing we do. So firstly, I become a networker. So I would find victory in getting a coffee with someone that would be victory. And if I could get them uh, to come along to a church meeting or even to consider us as a church for me, that was a victory. And I celebrated it. The other thing we would do, is uh, we made our home a community hub. Uh, So when we moved up, um, me and Vic, the two girls were two years old and about eight weeks old. um, So they were pretty young. But if there was any excuse for a meal, for a barbecue, for a fire pit, for a party, for anything, we would do it. Uh, and when your kids are young, these things are tiring. Your house is a mess. And the idea of having either if one of you has been with the kids all day or one of you has been at work and then having to make 
food for multiple amounts of people. Uh, it was, you know, it's kind of hard work, but we would do it as often as we possibly could. Uh, and again, we would have people around our dinner all the time, around our house for dinner all the time. Uh, some people would turn up, be lovely. We would never see them again. You know, we would text them nothing. They just completely blank you. Um, and other people, it was the first step into church. It was the first step into becoming part of us. Um, and the big kind of community social things uh, we used to do were, were for us a gauge of where we were at. So we used to do a – there was a big fireworks display at the end of our road, in the park at the end of our road, and we would always have people around our house for hot dogs before and then go to the fireworks, and it was just fun. The first year we did it, I think we had six people show up, and that was it. The second year we got 15 people, and in the third year it was the last year we could do it because we filled our house with i think it was about 50 or 60 people all crammed in but they were friends friends of friends anything we could possibly do to get a crowd of people in our house and anytime we did that that was victory so someone round for dinner uh, people in our house was a big victory that was a win for us and we would celebrate that uh what also i would spend large amounts of time doing which was very strange but i spent a lot of time on social media uh, and I would blog, tweet, and Facebook and try and connect with as many people as I possibly could uh, to the point of being slightly obsessive and nerdy. Um, but in doing that, in this world, in um, South Manchester, which is full of young people, actually, people joined our church because um, I followed them on Twitter. Uh, that's how it works, uh, which is very strange but true nonetheless. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to spend time on this. That's an important thing to do. Uh, the, the next thing we would try to do, having been networkers, having to do lots of social stuff in our house, lots of food, lots of dinner, lots of community, social media. The fourth one that we did that we put a lot of effort into was actually our Sunday meeting. So having said, I didn't worry about the preach. I didn't worry about the meeting quality, which is all true. What we did work really hard at was the welcome that people got and the perception as people walked in the room, how they felt with us as people uh, and this is going to sound a bit strange but i realized that if somebody's looking around for a church if they've moved into town there are some fantastic churches in manchester with really good preachers and really good worship teams and really well organized community group structures and all of those things and they're really good churches and i would happily be in one of those churches and i realized that as a church plant i can't do it better than they can i did i just it's not possible um, but what we can do really well is use the fact that we're quite small and therefore very welcoming, hopefully, and very friendly to make people feel very comfortable and like they're at the center of the church very quickly. So if you're looking to join a church of uh, maybe 100 plus, it's hard to feel connected into the middle quickly. But for a smaller church, it's real easy to get people into the center of who we are. So we decided that we were going to be as welcoming as we possibly could be. And that's still, um, that's still one of our important cultures now. Something we hold to be uh, very valuable uh, is that we have really good coffee, tea, donuts on a Sunday. And the thing that will annoy me more than anything is when that doesn't work. So if someone preaches and they're not great, then we can get over it and they can get better next time. But if the coffee and the donuts and the welcome are bad and someone never comes back again, then that's a frustration. So we worked really hard on that. And we would celebrate the victory in that. Uh, and the other thing that changed, finally, uh, I guess was within me, actually. There was a big change in myself that's probably reflected in how I prayed in my own kind of devotional life. 
um, and, and how I prayed about the church, how I prayed about what we were doing. Uh, and I actually stopped myself from praying for the hundreds, for the big numbers at, at, at that stage. And I still kind of do that now. Um, and I, I deliberately started praying for tens. So, so I would always pray for the next 10 people. So we're actually in the process of planting again in into Didsbury, which is in South Manchester. And uh, we have a team again of about 15 or 20 people. And uh, some people are saying, oh, this is going to be big. This is going to be a really good church. Uh, I can't get my head around it still. All I can do is pray, right, I want the first 10. That's what I want to do. I want the first five. I want the next couple to join us, the next person to join us. I want the next good conversation. Uh, We need a venue. So I'm praying. I just want one room. That's all I want. Uh, So in myself, I realize actually I – for the big vision to work in me, I need to break it down, maybe because I'm quite simple, into these things that I can pray for. Um, and I still pray like that now. So I pray very clearly for individual situations uh, and uh, pray bit by bit. So at the moment, we're praying about our church finances. And instead of praying for the big number, I'll pray for individuals that God would move in their heart and that they would want to do something very generous. Uh, and I, we'll take it one step at the time. Uh, and I also realized, and um, this may be obvious to everybody else on this, but it wasn't obvious to me, uh, that I needed to pray uh, really honestly. So church planning is kind of difficult, uh, actually. And my prayer life was me trying to be very faithful and all praying to all the big pictures. Uh, and actually, the best thing I could do sometimes was just to have a really good moan about all that was going on. Uh, and in that moment, God would be very kind with me and uh, help me to find the hope in it, help me to find uh, him in it and all of those things. So uh, I would start praying very honestly. So every conversation that we had, every dinner we had, every online contact we made, every opportunity to be welcoming, uh, every time that we could pray together, all of those things were small victories that we would take. So we would celebrate a good prayer meeting. There were four or five of us there and it was a good time. Then that would be a good thing for us. If we had a Sunday where we had two or three new people, that was a huge moment for us. If uh, one or two people said, yeah, I'm going to join you. We're going to commit to this. Uh, that was an amazing thing. And when people actually began to make good decisions in their life and uh, discipleship was beginning to show fruit, then those would be huge victories as well. But it was the small steps um, that really worked for us. And that was a, a big mind shift for me. Uh, the main thing being, I, I just didn't put as much pressure on myself. So when I, I started, it was all very sink or swim. You must be victorious in this. This has to work, all of this sort of stuff. Uh, because you feel like you're putting yourself out there as a church planter. Um, and actually, I decided that I was just going to embrace it for what it was at that point and enjoy it. So our two girls, for example, I would often find myself wondering what life would be like when they would be at the next stage of life. What will they be like when they're full time at school? Uh, what sort of other things were going on? Uh, and Vicky would always point out, she would always say, well, let's just enjoy it for the moment that it is at the moment. Uh, So tonight, all I've really talked about, uh, just to kind of wrap this up, is how I got from no people to 30 or 40 people. uh, And in that, how fighting for small victories really helps you to grasp what your bigger vision is. uh, And how sometimes actually in the beginning, the early stages, you kind of need to be a lot more low key 
uh, and a lot more focused on just a few things. Um, and also how I didn't put, I decided to not put pressure on myself. Uh, how, for example, I stopped giving myself targets of the amount of people that we needed to get and all sorts of crazy things like that um, to give myself a break. Uh, and then when we got through that stage, then we needed to readjust our thinking all over again. Well, we hope you enjoyed this Hangout with Tim. To find all the notes on everything that Tim was saying, plus a special Q&A with Tim, you can visit www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 30. And if you visit thebroadcastnetwork.org, you'll get access to our full library of all our church planting resources, and you can sign up to get an email notification whenever we've got a new Hangout coming up.